0: Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources.
1: The Alliance for Nevada
2: Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit. With your hosts Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurek here with my fantastic co-host, Stacy Wedding. And today we've got a special episode. So a couple of weeks ago, probably four or five weeks ago, actually it's got to be an even number, right? We only do them every two weeks. So let's say uh, six you week- know, yeah, <laughs> we, we did details, an- details, details, Andy. Details- oh. I know, we keep track of this stuff. Um, we uh, we did an episode called um, "Why You Hate Galas," <laughs> because we um, Stacy and I frequently have um, complained about uh, different aspects of gala events and of other kinds of events. And so we got a question that. And, and Stacey and I spent some time explaining our position, and we thought it would be a good idea to maybe bring in a couple of people that are familiar with events and know an awful lot about them, have done a bunch of really good events over the years, and see if they have any alternative perspectives. Um, so today, we're very excited. We have Christian Kohlberg and Terry Janison are going to join us, um, and, and we're excited for you to stick around for that. Hey,
3: so we have a special episode today of Nonprofit Everything with uh, two amazing guests, which we'll get to intros in a minute. But to tee this up for our listeners, some of you may recall uh, a question that Andy and I got as the co-host of Nonprofit Everything that was basically from one of our listeners who asked what we had against golf tournaments and gala events for fundraising and and asked are they considered frivolous and not worth the expense and and asked us some other questions tied into that. And Andy and I obviously shared our thoughts and feedback about that um, a, a few weeks ago. And now we wanted to bring in another perspective because just because we have our own perspectives on some of this it's a much more complex, bigger, bigger picture issue that really we need to share both sides. And we want to share both sides because we know events are the lifeblood of so many organizations. So with that, I'm going to get us teed off with an introduction to one of our guests, Christian Kohlberg. Christian Kohlberg is one of the best known charity benefit auctioneers in the nation. While he is a familiar face in the Southern Nevada nonprofit community, what many may not know is that Christian auctions galas throughout the world. Nationally, he has auctioned events including the Big Ticket Gala for the Super Bowl, the Music Cares Gala for the Grammys, and the International Air Show in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He has consulted and done work in the nonprofit community for US presidents on both sides of the political spectrum, governors, celebrities, and one of his favorites, a cake auction for his niece's local Girl Scout troop. Born and raised in Las Vegas, Christian worked for the Don Ray Media Group as the marketing director for the Las Vegas Review Journal and other property holdings for over 15 years, and then worked in a similar capacity at the Donald W. Reynolds Foundation, Nevada's largest charitable foundation, before entering the benefit auction world full-time 16 years ago. Welcome, Christian. It's great to have you.
2: Well, thank you, Stacey. Great to be with you as well and my uh, other panelist, Terry today.
3: Yes, so we'll have Andy, yes, introduce our other guest.
1: Yeah, I have the I have the the good part of introducing my dear friend Terry Janison, and here's Terry's bio, caring about our future starts with caring for our children. Terry has spent her entire adult life working on behalf of children and families in need. A Las Vegas for 27 years, she's built a reputation for connecting the right people to the right causes by serving on education and nonprofit boards and working for government and nonprofit agencies that support families and children. She served as an elected official as a CCSD school board trustee, the fifth largest school district in the nation, and joined Governor Sandoval's senior team in 2011 to advocate for education policy on a statewide basis. Terry currently works as a consultant to support those in need and still volunteers for the causes she holds near to her heart. Proud of the work that she does, her highest accomplishments are raising two successful and compassionate children with her husband of 32 years. Terry, welcome.
0: Thank you, Andy. It's so nice to see all of you, and uh, especially Christian and Stacy. So this is going to be a fun conversation. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yeah, we. I think we really wanted to just sort of because um, because Stacy and I gala related questions, silent auction related, just all these real questions that come up with nonprofit events. We get them a lot, and we've done what, 70s, seven so episodes or so now. And it's something that comes up over and over again. And we kind of have a history of being down on them. And, and so the question that came in was really about, you know, so what's your beef with galas? And I, I think we set out a pretty, you know, reasonable reason that they're not our favorite thing, but we thought it would be really important to have some other people who are familiar with the sector, certainly familiar with galas to kind of bring in alternatives perspective and uh, and let our listens know, listeners know that much um, they already know is that. The two of us don't necessarily have the last word on everything. We're just people with opinions in a podcast, which is, you know, it's that's worth about what it's worth. It can be
0: dangerous, <laughs> right, Andy?
3: It can be yep.
1: dangerous.
0: So I kind of like that gig, right? <laughs> yep. uh, no, look, I have to tell you guys, I, I listened to your podcast after you invited me to participate in this piece of it. And I actually thought you did a, a, a pretty good job. So you, there were some definite opinions about what you did not like. Uh, But I thought you had some pretty good but very valid points too because it's not just a black and white in my mind.
1: Yeah, so so I wonder if you could just elaborate on that a little bit. So one of the things that we were saying was that for, for smaller organizations, for baby nonprofits, one of the, the – so the board comes in, and they're uncomfortable with fundraising because it's, it may be something they've never done before. And so a lot of times the first two things that come out of the mouth of a brand-new board member are we need to go after government grants, and we, we probably should do some sort of event. So, so in those situations, like what, what's your – I mean, since you've done this for a while, what's your sort of go-to response for brand-new board members that jump on those two things?
0: So it really and truly is to have that a strategic discussion because for me, events are, at, are, I think almost everybody could have some type of event within their stable of fundraising, right? But it really is to have a strategic discussion about what is our ultimate goal, right? So it, it, it could be a piece of your overall plan. Some agencies don't do them at all but i do think that they can be very very beneficial but my advice is always to with my board even with my staff is to what are we trying to do so i always ask a couple of questions what is determine what your goals are first is it money is it increasing awareness do you want to gain new donors or do you want to have volunteer experience because those can all be pieces of why they are beneficial But if you don't determine ahead of time what your ultimate goal is, it is very easy to get sidetracked and you could lose money, you could spend an inordinate amount of time unnecessarily. But if you stay focused on what your ultimate goal is, I do believe they can be greatly beneficial in all of those areas.
3: That's great. So so Christian, how about you? I mean, you've seen and been a part of events that have been done incredibly well. So, would you like to expand on that?
2: Certainly. I think I think Terry brings up a valid point in terms of you've looked, you have to look at events as part of the stable of fundraising and it's a really good analogy I think to take a look at she outlines kind of what and why and when you look at events you know you have to categorize them in terms of are you going to do a a -a bike-a-thon you know a golf tournament are you going to be doing a gala are you going to be doing a dinner um i mean and they can be challenging or they can be enormously successful um i mean if you look back historically through events even um i can go back and give you whatever you want to look at but i mean currently in the market i mean you look at the susan b coleman um foundation their event is race for the cure uh, it's the world's largest event for breast cancer i think on an annual basis it attracts uh, 850,000 to a million participants uh, you look at the muscular dystrophy association took a letter an a different twist early back on in terms of jerry lewis and his involvement um i think during his period of time, I remember reading in his obituary, you know, two and a half billion dollars raised uh, in terms of a telethon. So a, a different type of event. Then you look at, you know, just most recently here a couple of years back where ALS and Luke Garrett, where all of a sudden there was a media storm in terms of the ice bucket challenge. Um, and you go through there and, you know, it, they utilize social media um, for a tune of, I think it was a hundred million dollars or something. You know, ridiculous. But you you go back even further, you can even look back to event based where you come back to like, I don't know if you know the back history on the March of Dimes, but the March of Dimes uh, was not known as the March of Dimes until they did an event, which is essentially uh, prior to that, they were the National Foundation for Infant Paralysis, if I remember correctly. And there was a radio personality, gentleman by the name of Eddie Cantor. And Eddie decided on behalf of Franklin Delano Roosevelt to do an event. Uh, Essentially, people then taped dimes to postcards and letters and they mailed them all in. Uh, That ultimately became what they called the march. And then ultimately that became their name uh, solely based around an event. So and I would say each of those. Yeah, each of those have been successful.
0: (laughs) So I think those are very interesting. But I have to tell you, I think that those are. Those are incredible, very diverse examples, right? Because yep. to me, the ice bucket challenge isn't an event. I mean, that was a, that was something that took on a world of its own. And how lucky would any of us in the nonprofit world be to have something that take on its own life? But if we're talking specifically like events like the Jerry Lewis Telethon or the MDA, look at me, Jerry Lewis Telethon, the MDA yes, Telethon and things like that. That to me was a very good example, too, about when you talk about ROI, what is it that we are, your overall mission, and Andy, I think you talked about this in your first podcast too, right? So what what are you trying to do? Are you trying to get people to understand the mission? And then if the ultimate goal is to cure it, is the money that was raised, did it get you to the next level of that cure? Or was that mostly awareness of the cause? Or was that salaries for people. And I have to tell you, I think that that that's something that every nonprofit board members need to look at as well, is, is that what is it costing us to actually put on those events? So I think if you just, you have to look at all those pieces and then determine no matter what size nonprofit you are, does this make sense for us? And what, what's our ultimate goal?
1: Yeah, I I think that's a good point. And, and, you know, and you're, you know, Christian, to your point that, you know, the Coleman things, the MDA, these big things that um, that's what these baby nonprofits and these, these inexperienced board members immediately look at and assume that that's just something that you can set up immediately. And they don't, I don't think they necessarily realize that there's, there are a lot of costs to it. And you do need to sort of do some kind of analysis to determine, you know, to what Terry says like what what are what are we trying to get out of this? Is it really just to make awareness of our cause, or do we just want to throw a party to thank our volunteers and once you get the the concept behind it, and it feels like maybe maybe then then coming up with a particular event designed around a strategy is something that would be would be really, really relevant. I think, just in in my experience, most of the most of the ones that I've experienced, certainly, you know, in our market, seem to be of that sort of copycat variety. Of the of the let's let's get some people in a room and see how much money we could squeeze out of them. And my instinct as a sort of a you know nonprofit pro for a million years is like, was that the best use of resources? And I don't I don't know. I don't. I mean, I obviously don't have access to any of the data that would make me have a decision one way or the other. Um, But but yeah, coming up with a really the strategic purpose for it, I think, is probably probably really the smartest way to go
0: one of the I things- your comment about the lazy i'm like the, the events are not lazy yes. I, I can you can. <laughs> and the the amount of energy that christian puts out because i have to tell you any event that i've done where i've needed an auctioneer he is absolutely the go-to person for me to go to and the amount of energy just in that night alone but even all oh, the stuff that he has to do with this prior to but anyway i'm sorry i got a real kick out of listening to your previous Well, well, I
3: love that you did. So thank you. You know, the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. We we got some mixed reviews, but I am curious to know what you what you all think about the idea of an event as a you hear the term friend raiser all the time. Right. It's a friend raiser. It's a cultivation event. I would love to hear sort of both from Christian, your vantage point from working with a variety of organizations and Terry, your real life experience working at a non, working at nonprofits, right? What does that really happen or what needs to happen? Um, is it even realistic um, you know, given the lack of capacity and bandwidth that nonprofits have? But Christian, can you kick us off with some thoughts on events as friendraisers?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is, it's is—it's a distinct category unto itself, and I see a fundraiser gala uh, as a different component than a friend raiser where you gather a group of people with like and similar minds who want to come and support an organization at someone's home, smaller gathering, those type of things. Um, both of them will generate interest and both of them give donors the ability to personally connect with the cause uh, because most people want to help but they want to know where can i make that difference how do i do that how do i get engaged and involved the number one way you can do that is through personal engagement and or experience yourself if you've had a loved one a family member who's associated with a certain affliction or disease odds are you have more education and background on that you may feel you can make an impact there. Uh, Second, I think strongest influence area is the influence. You know, all of a sudden Terry says, gee, Christian, I have this and I know it's there. I'd really like you to come learn more about them as an organization and give some consideration of maybe getting engaged. So Terry being my friend, I would then want to go and where I may not have given consideration prior to, I'm going to now. Um, so, you know, I think most people want to be involved. They want to be engaged. They want to donate. Um, and either and those components can work well. And I can give you examples of each of that's of interest later to your listeners, but I'll turn it back to you.
3: Terry, from a capacity standpoint, because I mean, the realities we, we know, right. And it's I think regardless of the size of a nonprofit, but particularly our smaller nonprofits, which really are the ones that make up the majority of the nonprofit sector nationally and locally, um, you know, budgets a million dollars and less budgets, $500,000 and less. You think about these, the work and the amount of work and time that goes into an event and to do it well and right. It's it's not uh, a one you know one time deal, but it's something where you're you're building a relationship with with the person that attended and and the donor who maybe was generous and and took part. So, is that even realistic in the world of nonprofit? What have what have you seen and what has been your experience around that?
0: Yeah, so I do believe that that it is realistic, right? But I'm going to go back to how I started, and that. Uh, before you go down that road you have to determine what is it you're trying to get out of it. So I want to go back to the friend raiser. I think friend raisers are good for d- for the smaller nonprofits, as Andy was talking about, because it's really an easy way to like have just a small luncheon, very low overhead and getting people into the cause and then you can grow it from there. But it, it doesn't happen overnight. So the previous organization that I was working with was 11 years into it and started out with just a a, a luncheon at, at a restaurant and has grown now to uh, anywhere from three to five hundred thousand dollars net for the event that, that that we were putting on. But you you do have to be careful about that. So I, again, number one, what do, what do you want to get out of it? But Stacy, I do want to hit on the question that you had because I think that the capacity piece is a huge issue. And it's not just does does your staff have time to do it, but is your staff trained to do it? It's one thing to bring people, new donors, new people to your cause, to an event. But after it's over, if you, your team and yourself, aren't willing to actually continue to cultivate those relationships and bring in those donors for a long-term basis, then it's probably not worth the amount of money that it costs to bring that one or two individuals in as new people. So it's a, it's, I, I wish there was a simple answer to this because yes, it's great to throw a party at some other at, at corporate donor's expense and all of that stuff. But again, they're all starting to get tighter with their donor dollars as well. And what's their ROI as they sponsor? these incredibly large events as well. So it's a complicated uh, picture. So I, I love the fact that you all are talking about it. I love the fact that you're willing to train up boards, but also train up staff members to understand about what our event and do they make sense for us as an organization?
3: I think, I think one of
0: the things that I've at least experienced and
3: seen is, is you hear the burnout factor and, you know, the burnout factor is alive and well for a variety of reasons, not just events. Um, But, but you hear some of that. And so trying to figure out how you can do some of this work. And uh, if you do choose to do an event for using some of the analysis that you have touched on that Christians talked about, how you do it in a manageable way that isn't going to deplete um any you know energy from the rest of the year uh and i i don't know if either of you have advice for for how organizations can do that um and not go all in on an event to the point where everyone's exhausted and burned out and and fried after it's over well i just
0: have to tell you a, a, a quick little story about me. I think Christian knows this. I don't think the other two of you do, but um, I stayed home with our children for 16 years as they were growing up and doing volunteer work on these nonprofit boards and things. I was a freelance event planner. I've been doing events for almost 30 for 30 plus years, even before I came to Las Vegas. And the reason that I like them is because there is a start and a finish. But if I'm a staff person and that's one of the things that I have to do. You can get burnout very, very fast, right? So I would say that you might want to consider looking at, is it worth outsourcing for an event to have someone come in and help you do that, as opposed to it being a full-time job as well? Because if it's a full-time job, there better be a lot of money coming in from those things
2: in the perspective, when you look at it, about 82% of nonprofits do an event nationwide. So everybody's doing them, whether you like them or you don't like them, it's a fundraising resource that's available in most situations. And I think Terry makes a good point, having done events in the 30 years that she does, is that you have to set those goals and objectives. You have to understand the costs and more importantly, the potential returns. You do that by identifying the needs of the organization. If you're small and you have a small budget, you do a small event. If you're large and you have a larger budget and you have professional staff that can do that, then you engage them. Um, And part of that is then also, as you look to your boards, as you look to your volunteers and you look to your staff, how do you divide those responsibilities amongst everybody that's there? Is it reality to consider it a resource? As Terry says, do you go out and hire someone else just for the event to bring that in? And then the key is plan early. Um, I'm engaged and involved with events, and Terry and I've done events together where literally we're talking two years ahead of time. And, you know, I've also been engaged with events where, you know, six weeks they decide, well, gee, let's go do an event. Now, if you have the staff and the resources to do that, God bless you, because you can do it, but most need more time. You know, there's other components of a nonprofit that when you're engaged in, you know, capital campaigns, you're doing phone solicitation, you might be doing direct mail. Um, All of that's a bigger, because most of us don't have, and, you know, I was blessed to be on the side of the funder. You know, we have the largest endowment in the state of Nevada. So, you know, but not every nonprofit was the recipient of those funds. So, and when you look at the big scope, Not everybody has an angel investor. They're not receiving state funds. They're not receiving federal funds. So we're back to how do we raise money? And events is truly a a resource if done appropriately, accordingly, and within budget, um, typically result in a positive outcome.
1: Yeah, and I think that's I think that was kind of one of our bigger points too is that it's it's appropriate within a portfolio of fundraising activities. Like you should be you should be talking about direct mail. You should talk to be about direct asks. You you know, if an event is an appropriate thing and and the the market, the target market of funders that you want to talk to respond well to an event, that's absolutely something that you should have on the table too. One of the things I I you mentioned that eighty-two percent of nonprofits do an event. I mean, just knowing the relative size of most nonprofits, that number terrifies me. I think that is Like, in my opinion, that is probably way, way more than should be doing events, knowing that a significant percentage of nonprofits. And I don't know the number are like is a board and, and if they're lucky a staff member, that's, that's terrifying. So what would you recommend for, you know, these, these tiny little organizations that don't have much, I mean, that they get their, they get their information from podcasts, right? This is how they <laughs> decide what kinds of things they want to do. Um, so what advice would you give to these little tiny, like board run, like all volunteer organizations that think, you know, we, we went to a fantastic gala event. It was amazing. They raised a zillion dollars. Let's go do that.
0: So I, I really would, the advice would be to truly vet out the conversation. And and, and I'm not, I, I think it's funny that you said that about the podcast, but I have to tell you, Andy, I think this will be a really nice tool. So listen to to that do some research about things that, are, that that have worked and have not worked out before you actually jump into it but don't go big right off the bat right really keep it into context as to your staff your board the I think you said it your budget um, but I, I want to interject something in here that I, I think it fits and I don't I wish that I had a uh, a black and white answer for this Stacey, you and I have talked about this over the past many years. You also have to be very careful as a leader of an organization, right? As to, it's very easy to put it out to the world. Volunteers, oh, let's get all these volunteers to come in and take care of this. That's great. But then you also have to be careful about the control. Um, A volunteer doesn't get paid. So... They could just determine, and trust me, it's happened to me, well, I'm going to take care of this for you, and then they don't, falls back on staff, and then as you grow the ownership of what that event looks like, you have a potential to lose control of what you know is best for the organization, because your volunteers have said, well, this is, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and if they're bringing a, a check, to the table. It's harder to say no if that's the route they want to go to. That's not a solid piece of advice because it's not just that simple. I just put it out there as cautionary that as you grow, I would I would just ask all leaders of organizations just remember just keep keep control, right? Keep keep a handle, not control. Keep a handle on your events the bigger picture because it ultimately it is your responsibility on whatever you do at the end of the year on all of those direct mail all that so i'll stop talking i <laughs>
3: terry if our if our uh, i'm just nodding my head furiously because i i think related to that topic uh it, You and I have talked about this, and we've talked about this particularly related to, you know, whether it's well-meaning well volunteers, whether it's board members who get involved in a committee and start to really overstep, and so having that clarity from the get-go of here's who is the authority and final decision maker. The committee has this role, which might be recommendations. It doesn't mean the committee makes all those decisions unless, of course, the committee is empowered to do it. But this goes back to sort of really defining roles, responsibilities, decision making authority with all the parties involved, because I think that's where it gets really sticky. And you find events go down this rabbit hole because of some well-intentioned people who took it there and no one had the courage to stand up to them. So it's, it's a real issue. It's probably a whole podcast episode in and of itself.
0: That's true. But Stacey, you had made some, a uh, 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 suggestion earlier uh, which I thought was really great that i really never thought of is, is to put job descriptions out for your volunteers and your board, right? Have them for your staff and yourself. So that, you had suggested that, and I thought that was really good because that when really everybody wins and everybody goes in with their eyes wide open on what expectations are.
2: And I think I would reinforce Terry's thought process, you know, start small. You know, of course, you know, as I referenced earlier at the start of the podcast, when we were talking about these organizations that have this national brand, right, and, and they didn't get there with their first event. Um, typically when I'm consulting with groups, I tell them, you got to give yourself at least a minimum of three to five years before your community as a whole will look at your event as kind of an annual tradition, that things are going to happen there. The the next thing I would tell you that's key is give people a memory. Don't necessarily just give them an event. Um, So as you go to that, I've been to events that have raised very little money. But at the same time, people have walked away with a memory from that event that stayed with them the rest of their lives. And as they continue to come back and support that organization, have turned into large philanthropic donors because they had that exposure to that one event. And they'll always reference it. I mean, to, to this date, I mean, you opened it up with, I don't know how you picked it up, but the, the little Girl Scout reference for my niece I can guarantee you that event didn't make a lot of money. But the memory that it had for those girls and for their loved ones continues to this day. And what we did was the girls baked cakes. And then the parents showed up. And we auctioned off cakes at dollar increments, you know, and selling cakes for 10 15 and $20. But the enthusiasm and the excitement that these young ladies had in relationship to putting forth all of that effort, built into and ultimately then supports other galas and events that they do, um, you know, locally think of the dessert before dinner benefit and the gala the Girl Scouts do there. Absolutely fantastic. You have 20 nationally recognized chefs that come out of the community and then they incorporate Girl Scout cookies into desserts, a dinner, a gala, a wonderful event. Hey, Chris, I think
0: it's funny. I'm sorry, Stacy, but it, he just... As soon as he said that, I went back to this picture because that really, and, and you guys are all probably, I don't know, Christian, you, you and I might be in the same age range, I'm not sure. Not talking about age here, but uh, I remember the PTA with my mom and we did bake sales. So similar concept, right? And so you would, and I was a volunteer with my mom who was volunteering for the PTA at the time. So that that's that very similar type event and honestly, Andy, that that might be for some of the smaller ones. It could truly just be that simple to start something like that. Uh, Some of these organizations, uh, I was involved with one as a volunteer, we did a no-bake bake bake sale because it was so intense on the time. So we created this, sure, we got it from someplace else, but you sent the the letter and an envelope out saying, look, I'm sure you don't wanna bake cookies or cakes, Give us the amount of money that it would cost you to bake that, and include your time, and send me the check. I
3: I have a, a personal story to share around an event. So growing up, uh, everyone know, I think uh, many people know that I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, insulin dependent diabetes, at the age of two. And so my mom was the executive director for years of what was then known as uh, JDF, now is JDRF, but uh, and they, both that organization and then the American Diabetes Association that she moved to later as the executive director, one night we were having, we were doing a board game at our house. My, my mom, my dad, and me were playing Monopoly and we loved Monopoly. And, you know, my dad would joke about who wants to go to another stuffy rubber chicken dinner. Like nobody wants to do that. Right. And so my dad said, what if we did a Monopoly tournament? Like, what if we made our gala into a Monopoly tournament? We get bankers from all the local banks to sponsor. They're the banker. And so literally you had execs from over the community dressed in tuxedos in this, like, voracious game of Monopoly. But I'll tell you what, it raised so much So much money, so much awareness, but more so than that, back to your point, Christian, the memory, people talked about the memory of the competition and the fun that came from that event. And that was what it was known for. Uh, You know, it was a different spin on it. So I I like the idea of creating that memory. I think that is a really great piece of advice for listeners. And, and, you know, anyone of any size can do that to, to your points
1: that that feels really hard to me, I mean, I think coming I mean it's probably just because I'm not that creative, but it it feels difficult to me to come up with something that's gonna attract so so I was talking to to somebody after we did that first episode and and they mentioned that they they felt sim- similarly to the way we were describing it, and one of their examples was what they did a they did an event at a brand new museum and everybody came because they wanted to experience the brand new museum. And then the next year they did an event and they just didn't have that same level of excitement so that they were, they were sort of relying on the location of the event to give people a reason to show up. And so the next year people didn't show up again because they didn't, they didn't have something fun to do. They didn't think it was that interesting. And, and, you know, my, my, my thoughts were like, well, it it shouldn't, I mean, I would expect it would have something to do with the mission of the organization or, or there needs to be some sort of philanthropic hook, not just a cool idea for a party. Um, but I don't think I mean, but, but that's that's for me, like most organizations may be thinking, like, what are we going to do that's going to top what they just did? Right.
0: Andy, I have to tell you, I that that goes back to I think it's so imperative. This is where I believe you bring your board members in, right, where they play a crucial role. Because as you work as executive directors of nonprofits, you have got to put together an annual budget. That's that assessment of then what happened last year? What did we get out of it? Did we get new donors? Can we sustain it? So what do we do this this next year? I think you have to look at it every year. Um, and and, and Christian, I get like the, the telethon and those things that have established themselves. That was just a no brainer. But as you're growing that event, I think if you do not look at it every year and your board is involved to say, and they ask staff, what, what are you gonna do? And really have those hard discussions prior to approving a new budget for the year. Um, I, I completely agree with you because it, I love events. I love planning them, but they are, I, I'm not the creative either, right? It's, it's, it's how do you figure this stuff out? So I'm, I'm more logistics when it
2: comes to that stuff. Yeah, and I think part some of the other keys there, Andy, to address your concern about, you know, I'm not the creative one. Well, that's why you're gonna resource it out and find other people that can offer you help and they use your skills where they're strong for you and then use the skills of others that have that creative focus. I think one of the keys for me there and what I would have probably have asked that individual or that event that you were attending was I said, You know, you always want to spend time to educate the donor base. Who are we? Fund the focus, right? Here's what we're doing. Set realistic goals and objectives. Um, And you want to, at a minimum, even if you don't get a donation from someone that's attending your event for the first time, you want to be able to educate that person so that they can go out into the community and be an advocate on your behalf. Hopefully it'll go better, right? Hopefully it becomes what I call a courtship. And you know, all fundraising events, all fundraising and all philanthropic engagement um, is a courtship. It's you know having that cup of coffee, it's having that lunch, it's having that dinner. And if you use the analogy compared to, to just dating, it, it's identical. And if I don't put the effort into that relationship. It doesn't build. It doesn't develop. It doesn't grow. If I go out on a date and I've had a great time, but then again, I don't call back and say, boy, that was wonderful. Let's do it again. That courtship, that relationship doesn't develop. Same thing happens in fundraising.
0: It goes back to Stacy's point about the capacity.
2: There
1: you of go. Your staff
0: after that great event, if you don't have the ability to follow up, I'm not sure that ROI on bringing those new people in was was truly worth it. So
2: yeah. and I can give you a, a unique example. I was always surprised at the effort that organizations would put forth to come to the charitable trust that I worked for, in making the application, going through the process, uh, you know, filing all of the paperwork that was required. They go through the process, they're successful in getting the grant. The grant is then awarded. And the one thing they forgot once they got the kiss was to say, thank you. And we need to do that more in the nonprofit world to engage and show appreciation for individuals that are supporting us, whether it's they're buying a silent auction item, they've entered the raffle, they've bought a live auction item, they've given us a grant, they've given us a gift, they've given us a challenge. All of that comes with, uh, we need to have gratitude. And it's, it's really easy. It's it's a simple thank you and a smile, just like Terry is now.
0: Well, thank you for that. Um, but it's, it's funny you say that, because that is to me, that's 101 in nonprofit is the gratitude afterwards. So it really is surprising how many don't. But I'll just I'll, I'll go one step further with that, Christian, in that the other piece is don't come to me once a year. That's why I think one of the questions in your other podcast was someone said, well, is it better off to put it to marketing dollars or, you know, how do I best in those monies? It, you really have to communicate throughout the year on what did the money that we brought in at this event, what impact has it, is it having? And has it, it and is it going throughout the year? So it shouldn't just be a one time of the year. Oh, here we are again. Give me, Five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. What did my five thousand do last year? And and to help your mission. And if you're not spending any money on gratitude throughout the rest of the year, many of them they won't either come back to an event or they're not going to give you another check.
2: Well, that's and I know funny. we're
0: going off into other fundraising. No, I, no, no. I, other I think it's stuff.
2: I think it's really good though, because it's you know, when you come back to events and you look at it and you go, Well, the effort and the resource and you know, all of that as part of that courtship, it's that other opportunity where you can actually engage that donor, right? So if if they're a, let's say they provide you a major gift, you do an event and at the next event, you're able to recognize them, whether it's at the walk, the race, the run, the gala, all of those opportunities are presenting themselves there so they can come back and engage and you can engage them as well. Because I guarantee you, if you're not doing it, your competitor is. And in the nonprofit world, it comes back down to a business model that you are competing for donors' dollars.
0: Oh, see, that is that it always strikes a chord with me because I come from the corporate world. In, in uh, public relations and marketing. I just keep in and up back in this nonprofit world. I'm not sure why, but here I am, right? Um, I, I've i had to uh, train my, not just my boards, but also staff. Just because you are a nonprofit does not mean you're not a business. If you look at the numbers of like the economic impact that nonprofits bring, we are, there's a, we're, we're small businesses. And some of those small businesses are, if you will, you look at like a, a look at three square. I mean, look at the, uh, the budget and the economic impact that they bring into the community. So I just, I also think people just need to remember that nonprofits doesn't mean that you're this, oh, you cute little things over here, right? We're business and the employees need to remember to act like a business person as well. You have a respons-
3: to donor dollars. You both got me passionate about the concept of gratitude because this goes back to what's a great way to engage board members as your gratitude committee post event. So there is an amazing organization that many of us know in Southern Nevada whose board within a week or two of the event will call up, a board member will call up me, whether I bid on something, won something or just attended and say, thank you so much for attending. It meant so much for us to have you there. What did you think of the event? No other strings attached. And I'll tell you what, I will always support that organization. I will always go back because that one piece of of gratitude from a volunteer who didn't have to call me it's different having a board member do it than it is a staff member who's paid right it's a volunteer board member so there is a great way back to full circle where we started earlier about board members and their engagement with events there's one great way to to employ their their uh, willingness to help Thank you so much for joining us for this episode with our special guests, Christian Kohlberg and Terry Janison. I think I learned a new thing or two and had some other things to think about related to events after listening to them. How about you, listeners? I'm I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Uh, Certainly, events are a complex issue. And I think the bottom line, what we all do know is that there's a lot of questions to be asked and thought to be put into them. Regardless of whether you are pro event or not, it is at least worth a discussion. And if nothing else, we hope that bringing in these two special guests, as well as Andy and I doing our own rants about events, hopefully stirs the pot a little bit, gets some new thinking and new conversations at your organization. So thanks again for joining us.